This is the Territory Story Podcast with Peter and the Professor. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there. Welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Peter Gowers. That's what that bloke said, so I guess he's telling you the truth. I'd like to introduce now, all the way from the coronation, the dame herself, Elizabeth Spencer. How are you, Prof? I'm very well. Thank you, Peter. Pete? Do you like to be called Pete or Peter? Well, I'm generally called Pete by my friends, and uh, I, I generally refer to myself as Peter if I don't know you, but to be brutally honest, I don't really care. The one funny thing about that is when I meet other people whose name is Peter, I don't know what it is, and I don't know if this works with all names, but there's just a general understanding of how you will refer to other Peters when you are... Even if you don't know them and they don't know you, it's just—it's really funny. I've always so noticed that. Peters know what to call other Peters. It's like Peter Radar. Yeah, and and some will be Pete and some will be Peter. I don't—I don't really get it, but it's just something I've—it's—it's it's built in. I quite like Pete for you. Well, I guess that's what my friends are called, Liz, and I'd call you a friend, so you're welcome oh, to you. refer to me as that. Um, this is an episode with a difference, in case you're wondering why we're rabbiting on, but uh, this is what's going to be referred to as Liz's episode because this is something that she's been browbeating me about now for quite some time, and um, I, I won't say any more, Liz. I'll throw it over to you, and you can intro it however you feel like and tell uh, the Territory Story family that the purpose of it. Mm-hmm. Drum roll, please. Yeah, we don't, uh, we, don't, we don't have a budget for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> welcome, welcome to that's – what, that's one of the things we're going to cover is the drum roll um, and, the, and the jingle. Um, welcome to Territory Story. I'm Liz Spencer, and I'm delighted to be, um, be guest hosting. My guest this evening is <laughs> Pete Gowers, Pete, digital marketer, real estate wunderkind, Virtuoso podcaster and veteran DJ. Welcome Hello. to Territory Story. Thank you, Liz. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's great to have you here tonight. So we are going to talk to you about your territory story. What do you think of that? Um, well, I'm more than happy to talk to you about it. Um, you, you can go back to episode one and listen, but in all fairness, the audio quality would be shocking. And uh, it'll probably be a different take on things because this is you asking the questions. And when we first started Territory Story, it was just two idiots that thought it might be a bit of fun to chat to some other Territorians. And we hoped at that time that people may have an interest in it. Um, but, yeah, my Territory Story is uh, I, uh, well, as as any long-term listener would know, I grew up in Victoria, in Melbourne, don't hold that against me, and uh, did all my schooling and, and started my work life there. I started a mobile DJ business uh, a year or so after I left school because uni life just wasn't doing it for me, I'm sorry to tell you, Prof. And um, I went on this journey of about oh, almost 10 years DJing, Birthdays, uh, Christmas parties, um, uh, mainly birthdays and Christmas parties in in the first few years, but that 
certainly broadened uh, after that to weddings and 40th birthdays and 50th birthdays. Um, I also worked in lots of pubs and clubs. So, you know, I do the sort of, did a lot of the, the hip places at the time. I'm pretty sure that word's not what it used to be, but the, the cool places that, that existed around Melbourne. And um, then I always had a hankering to work on commercial radio. So um, I got an opportunity through a friend of a friend. It was extraordinary. Uh, I had a phone call on uh, the middle of the week just prior to what was going to be an extremely busy Christmas party season and uh, a guy that I knew sort of through friends loosely rang me and he said, oh, Pete, um, are you interested in doing a radio gig? And I said, yeah, uh, what do you got? And he said, oh, prime time, like dr- drive time, you know, Monday to Friday, living in a five-star hotel, have a driver to and from work and, uh, you know, spending allowance and all that sort of stuff. Is that of interest? I'm like, mate, his name was Pete too, actually. I said, Pete, mate, I'm busy, bugger off, you know. He goes, no, no, I'm serious. I said, well, of course I am, but no one's going to offer that. And... um and he said, well, I reckon I've got a gig for you. And I said, okay. And he said, there's one proviso. It's in Colombo and Sri Lanka. And I said, oh, okay, well, tell me more. And the rest is history. I, um, yeah, about a month later, I was, I was in Colombo in, in Sri Lanka and started my commercial radio gig. So um, what, first, year was, what year was this? That was 1996. And you were 10 years old. I was seven, and uh, yeah, I just sounded really good on the radio. No, I was just um, early twenties, and uh, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, early, early to mid twenties, and um, I, I, to be honest, probably if I knew before saying yes, what I what I then found out afterwards, I, I may have been a little more hesitant because I was not even aware that Colombo or Colombo, that Sri Lanka was in civil war at that point. And, uh, and look, it, it, it wasn't dangerous per se day to day, but the hotel that I lived in was bombed the year after I left. So, you know, it's, it was certainly a very tense time for, for locals. Um, being a white-skinned person, really, you know, you were mainly left alone, but you did have to go through some of the... Um, the roadblocks and the, the checkpoints and stuff, but as soon as they saw that you weren't, um, you know, a, a local, then they just let you get, go straight through, basically. So, um, yeah, I, I originally I went there for a very short stint. I was going to train some local DJs and to work on a, uh, the country's first English-speaking FM station, and it was it was meant to be like a six-week gig to get them up and running and to help train a few guys. And I ended up staying for about six months. Um, and look, I probably could have stayed indefinitely, but I, I had a business and commitments back in Australia and I sort of had to go. And I said, look, I'll go and come back, but I can't really not go back before I come back. And like all those things, it sort of didn't eventuate the, the coming back, but that was fine. And um and then I came back and thought, this is this is the way to go. It was my calling to do that full time. So I sold my business and I um, 
uh, sometime later I ended up getting a, a, a radio gig in Australia and I went to a little tiny town in New South Wales called Mudgee and I was the breakfast radio announcer on 2MG for a couple of years and then the announcer on our sister station, the FM station that was in the same building, uh, the breakfast guy left and um, I was offered that job because my style was probably more FM than it was AM. Well, you, you definitely bring um, a professionalism and, and just your, your beautiful voice and your, your nous and, and skill to podcasting. And that's really what my idea was for, for this episode, was to mm-hmm. delve into your um, experience with we going on 400 episodes of Territory Story and to learn about what that road was like and the ins and outs of podcasting and what you've learned and what you've learned about the territory. But, mm-hmm. but we do want to hear your, hmm. your story. And you did, you know, you took off and you told us, uh, you know, a lot already, but you haven't told us about your early childhood, which is always <laughs> where we start, Peter. And, sure. uh, you know, Peter, and, and we want to don't leave nothing out. So, <laughs> so can we, can we go back a bit? Um, you, you the, the day you were born, can you, can you tell us about, about how that, how that went? No, I can. It was monumental. The, 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 the earth rocked and, and, uh, yeah, no, I, I can't tell you a lot about it, but, um, I know that it was successful cause I'm still here. So, so, so were you born in Melbourne? I was born in Melbourne, yes. East Melbourne, to be exact, in a uh, little hospital that no longer exists, which is the case with most of those inner city hospitals because the land was worth way too much to keep them as hospitals. So they've all been – I think um, the hospital I was born in is now literally a block of, um, uh, you know, top-end apartments or units. Uh, Idyllic childhood, humble beginnings, what was your brothers and sisters? have one brother older um yeah it was it was pretty uh run of the mill to be honest we um uh, i grew up in hawthorne which is a um you know pretty well-known suburb thanks to its football team and i uh, went to a, i went to two schools actually i went from prep to year eight at one school and then i in year nine in year eight i decided i wanted to change so I went to another school, and the two schools were separated by a fence. So I literally jumped the fence and started at the new school and, and saw out my schooling there. Um, what was different? Why did you, what was, besides uh, being a fence? Yeah, it's a good question. So the, the school that I went to first um, had from prep all the way to year 12, and the school that I finished at was a school that all of the males in my family had been to um, for four generations. And while I didn't have to go there or I wasn't expected to go there, I felt like after nine years at the other school, I just needed a change and I, and I wanted something different. And it was probably the best move I ever made because um, I don't know where I would have ended up if I'd stayed at the previous one, Liz. Probably not so you, talking to you. Which which is the definition of success, really. So so the the dynasty. The dynasty. So four generations. 
Four generations. Yep, correct. So, so, so we, how did your? Where did your family um, come from before they were in Australia? Australia. Australia. Uh, well, my maternal side of the family have definitely been in Australia for multiple generations, but I think background. My grandmother's side was from Ireland. I, I don't. Uh, my grandfather, I think, even for a few generations, his family was from Australia, but I'll say England before that. And on my father's side, he was actually born in, in England. So uh, technically I'm half English and half Australian. So were they convicts or third sons or what kind of, what kind of arrangement was it coming you up? You know, across? what's really interesting because I, you know, I paid attention in school when it sort of suited me. Um, I just assumed that if you're from here and you've had multiple generations here, then you're just from the convicts. But um, I was sad to learn later in life that um, none of our generations uh, were brought here against their will. <laughs> they all came by choice. So there's, there's no convicts on either side, unfortunately. So why did they think it was a good idea to leave England and Ireland? Well, that's a really good question, and and I can't speak for my grandmother's of my maternal side, but on on the paternal side, my grandmother, she used to run pubs in London, and you know, for when she, she heard Australia is a great place to run a pub. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you know, for a woman, single woman, basically, in in whenever that would have been the thirties and forties to be running pubs in London, and she had, by all accounts, half a dozen of them. Um, wow. And when I knew her, she was just Nana. She was just, you know, just a, a nice old lady. But by all accounts, she could handle herself and, you know, knew what was what. So I think, I think in all honesty, she, she just knew that probably wasn't good for her children and decided to come to a, a better life in Australia. So she was running pubs and raising a bunch of kids. Yeah, yep, correct. And decided, well, I'm just going to go check it out in Australia. Yeah. How, well, how she, many did she have and did she have a husband? Or You said she was on her own. Yeah, she was, and I don't know too much about that, but the husband was sort of there and not there, So, but I don't think he was off fighting wars or anything like that. Um, but she had four kids, I think. I think she Amazing. had four kids. Yeah, I should probably know that because they'd been – aunts and uncles, but she either had, I reckon she had four kids, yep. So, so Peter, moving on from that, I have this sense mm. that you're from a sporting family, not just because of Hawthorne, but some some, some other reason. I don't know. Some well, lurking. Tell, what's, the, what's the reason? No, it just seems like there's some sort of shadowy sporting background there. I don't, you know, I just have this sense. I feel like you're using some sort of inside information. <laughs> <that's>... <laughs> Oh, look, yeah, I mean, no. there's, there's certainly sport on both sides of the family. Um, a story not that just, just in the pubs. Not just what? Not just in the pubs. No. No, well, yeah, I mean, my, my grandfather, um, I mean, people don't know what this is anymore, but it's a good, good story to tell for those who may. But my grandfather, um, my mother's father, I think he had – I don't know if it was the last or whatever, but he had what's called, uh, he got a, a triple blue at both school and university. 
And what that means is it's uh, full sporting colours for cricket, football and athletics. So that's, yeah, that was a pretty big deal back then. I don't think they even – they may not even do them anymore, but that was a pretty big deal. But he he was a doctor and um, his sort of greatest claim to fame beyond that for, for anybody who follows sport and – um, particularly Aussie rules. Uh, he played in the first grand final or the first premiership for Subiaco in in Western Australia. So that's quite a big uh, WAFL football team and you know quite well known. Um, and yeah, and what and, year would that have been, Peter? Geez, I don't know. Um, if I had to guess, probably. The 1920s or thereabouts. He was so, born very early 1900s. So between the wars, you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely didn't go to war, and I think he was that age where too young for the first and too old for the second. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, he did that. And, um, uh, yeah, we've got sporting genes on the other side of the family as well, I suppose, okay. Let's hear about that. Just quick, just briefly, not too much. We don't want to hear too much. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, uh, my just, brother. Just a little bit of bragging. You've, you've interviewed 400 people. You could brag a little now. It's time. Well, my brother played AFL and, and my father played as well for a few games. But um, if you're not particularly into that, it, it doesn't really mean that much. But if you are, then I guess it, it does to some people. So, so the Gowers dynasty is the Gowers AFL dynasty. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure you can call it that. Is is two generations a, a dynasty or dynasty? Well, yes. Maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, and and look, my Rest. nephew, my nephew played a few short, uh, a few games as well. So I guess you know, it's uh, uh, sadly I forgot about him. It's probably three generations, but it's a it's a very tough sport these days. It's very tough to get into. So um, he played oh, about thirty or forty games, and then drop back to the VFL level. Why hard to get into? That's very competitive. Um, when I say get into, like it's, it's very hard to, to, to get into a team, but then to stay in the team. There's a, there's a lot of competition for space, you know, for, for positions. Okay. So you, um, you went to, you went to these high schools. Now was one of these high schools like special for, you know, <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can't say that these days, Liz. <laughs> like it's you know for the arts or or something like that. Did you did you have have to was it to develop a special skill or predilection on your part for radio for anything? I mean, you know, so oh. like like you know, Brisbane State School. I think is isn't it more about art? I don't know. Oh, that's but, what you mean. Um, yeah. No, look, the, the, the school I finished at um, is a pretty well-known uh, private school in Melbourne. Um, and while it's probably known for some things, um, the, the, I guess the benefit with that type of school is that you can really do whatever you want. So, you know, I remember, for example, in I think it was year 11, I was the commentator for the, the the big athletics meet that they have at the end of the athletic season, which is called the APS Sports, where all of the other schools, there's I think 11 or so in the association, 
and they all competed what was Olympic Park in Melbourne. So, you know, we had camera crew, microphones, the whole bit. There was no real shortage of, um, uh, you know, funds for those sorts of things. If, if you wanted to do that, you could do that. If you wanted to be in the arts, you could do that. If you were good at sport, then there was pathways to, to do those as well. You, you, you weren't really held back if you, if you had a, a skill at something. You were blessed. So then from there, you decided to go on to uni, and then uni was disappointing, as it is for many people. Yeah, so um, I think I was the butt of Leon's jokes because he used to make jokes about art students. I I left school sort of knowing what I wanted to do but not quite, and I thought, look, I'll go and do an arts degree. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 I sort of majored in politics and and media um but yeah i don't know just it just didn't grab me and uh i i lasted 12 months and then by that stage i was already djing sort of three four nights a week anyway so i'd sort of my attention had been grabbed in another area would you remember carol fair talked about arts at uni too it's you know i don't it, it seems like maybe we're not we're not doing something that we should be doing in terms of university education in in the arts that and we're not funding it and we're cutting the funding for that now yeah. but um but it's so important and and for us not to be you know um somehow um making sure that that kind of education is as good as it can be um mm. seems an opportunity missed so okay off you go to colombo <laughs> and um yeah, yeah? Yeah, well, years years later, there was probably five years between uh, dropping out of. Uh, year, well, what did I do? I um, you don't drop out, you you defer. <laughs> so, what I, yeah, and then you, you defer, and then you never go back. Um, so uh, there's probably five or six years between that and and the Colombo trip. But that next five or six years was just spent uh, in pubs and clubs and DJing people's events and corporate events and things like that. And it was, you know, as much as I could do um, time-wise. That's the perfect life for a young guy freewheeling in his 20s. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it pretty much is. You, you sort of got – and at that age, you know, you've got – two or three nights work you're you're earning you know really good money for that sort of work and after 12 months of working for somebody else i started my own business so it was even better at that stage because you're basically keeping everything that you that you're charging you're not splitting it with the boss and um you know mondays and tuesdays and wednesdays are pretty relaxed usually dj a pub or a club on thursday night some Friday nights, and then I always used to keep my Saturday nights free for for private functions. I'd never, I'd never accept a pub or club gig on a on a Saturday night. Where the private ones pay more? Yeah, about three times as much. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so there'd be lots of debauchery and temptation. Yeah, really. Um, it's funny because. Uh, 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 I know I've been in the territory for 20 years, so I probably shouldn't say this, but um, I'm not really a drinker, mainly because I've always been working in DJ. Wait a minute, but, wait a minute. Um, Hang on. We, know we have to take away your, your visa immediately. I know, I know. <laughs> My residency status has been revoked as a result. Um, but because I was always DJing and, and driving home late at night, and believe it or not, the amount of times you'd get stopped by police driving around that time of night 
you know, I, I couldn't think of the amount of times I've been stopped. So um, it just wasn't worth the risk. But, um, yeah, look, it, it, pubs and clubs are probably where the, the most debauchery happens and, the you know, the most stories that you have um, from those days. But it happens at private functions as well. It's a great feeling to get to get stopped when you're sober. It doesn't happen to me often, but but I do enjoy it. It makes you feel sort of virtuous and ooh, yeah, got this. They're, they're just doing their job. I knew that, and I know that it's pretty odd to have someone driving around at three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning. And often my car would be full of equipment as well, so you know they're, they're doubly doing their job to make sure that I wasn't up to no good. Um, but yeah, I, I was never concerned because I wasn't. I hadn't drunk and, and needed to worry about it. But that always breathalyzes you, ask you what you're doing. And, uh, you know, once that was all done, you could generally go on your way. So at these at these parties and events and various things, um, anything surprise you that you'd like to tell us about? Um, I always remember um, when I was DJing private functions particularly that – because a lot of the people I worked for were generally, um, uh, you know, the children of fairly well-to-do parents. So, you know, it was often, uh, you know, top lawyers, doctors, uh, business people, you know, like they were the kids of people oh, I went to school with. What, and what town are we in now? Still in Melbourne at this stage. Okay. Yep, yep. So generally, you know, the, the kids of um, – private school families who, you know, would throw their kids big 21st birthdays. But I always remember um, because the system used to be usually the kid would book you for their party, um, or sometimes the parents because they'd want to check that you were, you know, not just some crazy mate that was going to not turn up on the day. But then um, – you do the function, and because we charge an hourly rate, you wouldn't know what the cost was going to be until you finished. So I just always remember, you know, it was quite common that you'd finish the party, you'd pack up, you'd go inside to say, you know, thanks to the parents and and, and good night, and invariably the father would take you into his office and ask you how much he owed you. And that was still back in the days when they'd write out a cheque. You know, and I remember a few times thinking that, or not thinking, but one one guy actually said to me, "He goes, how long do you work for tonight?" And I said, "Oh, you know, five hours, six hours, whatever it was." And he's writing out the check. He goes, "You charge the same hourly rate as I do." <laughs> and you know, this guy's a lawyer living in a nice pad or whatever. And I just always, I was very aware of it after that. You know, that I was charging a, a good amount, but they were getting the service they were paying for and people were having a great night. But that's that's certainly something that that um, surprised me, so to speak. But also just, you know, how much some people will spend on their kids' birthdays, particularly, you know, 21st being quite a celebration. There's, there was no end to how much some people would spend, let me tell you. Mm. So, so do you have a particular philosophy now about your kids' parties? Like, you know, no, no parties because they're just gonna their expectations are gonna get bigger and bigger, and you don't want to have to get into that. Uh, not how so many much. kids? You know, you have kids, don't you? We haven't talked about that yet. 
Yeah, I've got five. Okay, five. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we haven't got to that stage yet. The sort of parties they've had thus far have generally been, you know, half a dozen or a dozen of their friends from school. We'd either – we've done things from pool parties to, you know, going to different event centres or whatever for kids' functions. I don't have a particular – belief one way or the other for their birthdays. I don't think the 21sts are what they used to be because, you know, the 21st birthday used to represent the keys to the house and the drinking age and driving age, I think, if I'm right from memory. But that's been gone for that, – that was never even in my lifetime. So that sort of concept is, is probably lost a bit now. But I, I do um, personally – I couldn't have a traditional wedding because I've just DJed so many weddings over the years. I couldn't be cooped up in a in a function centre like you know how I've worked so many times. So um, my wife and I eloped. We went to Thailand and got married there. And then because my mother and her mother were desperate to have some sort of a thing, we said, right, we're already married. That's done. If you want to throw a party, let us know the date. Let us know the time, and we'll be there. And so they had a, a get together some months later, and we had a bit of a, a bit of a party. But it was just like, you know, I don't know, 120 friends, cocktail no, style. No DJ, no DJ at all. We, we actually did have a DJ. That wasn't my choice, but um, it was it was actually the fellow that bought my business. Um, he, he came in and and DJed for us, and and the That's girls had a good nice time. It was good. Yeah, it was good fun. And um, we had friends from all over the country and places that we'd worked and it was it was really nice to sort of get everybody together in one room for one night. Where was that? Still in Melbourne? It actually was in Melbourne. We were living in, in uh, Dubbo, I think, by that stage. But, um, yeah, it, it, was a, it was at a place that actually later burnt down. A couple of years later, it was burnt to the ground. everything down that has anything to do with you, hospitals. It was, it, we had a good night, Liz, let me tell you. <laughs> No, yeah, it burnt down later. I, I believe it was an insurance job, but I, yeah, that's just alleged at this stage. Um, and it was in St Kilda, right on the beach, and it was a very rare day for Melbourne because it was about April, and it had been thirty degrees, so it was a very warm night and and really nice. Mm, fantastic. So mm. that was um, that was a couple of years ago, and and now you've got five kids. Yeah. So yeah, we we. Um, we went overseas for some time in the start of the millennium. We spent some time in a place called Dubai, which you might have heard of, when I was still in the radio business. And uh, I ran a, a radio and television network over there for a couple of years. And um, when that contract expired, uh, we were very much ready to come home. And uh, that's when I was offered the job which has now really changed my life, uh, in a little place called Darwin. And uh, so I, I worked at the commercial radio stations there for a couple of years as well. Okay, two more minutes on Dubai before yep. we get back, before we come to Darwin. What we sure. did, Dar- Dubai didn't change your life. How long were you, you were, that was early marriage, you were in Dubai. Did you have children? Did you have any children when you were in Dubai? No, zero children. Uh, it, did, it did change my life in a way. Um, I'd lived obviously for a short time in Sri Lanka and I spent a fair bit of time in Asia, but I probably wasn't prepared for 
the culture shock that was Dubai the first time we lived there. It was um, more of a culture shock than Colombo. Yeah, oddly it was because, I mean, this sounds funny, but in Colombo, um, and, and I don't I mean, I'm not doing a Donald Trump when I say this, right, but I was sort of treated like a star. Um, I got, you know, five-star treatment wherever I went and part of that was probably because of my skin colour. I just looked different. I was tall and, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes. Um, but the first time I was introduced to the public, I was I was DJing at a uh, an event for 10,000 people in the main convention centre in Colombo. So, you know, people sort of knew me from the second that I hit the ground. Um, in Dubai, I was the manager of the network. So I was on air, but it was a it was more of an off-air position. And I just found it a real culture shock because, uh, and I'm, I'm a lot more au fait with it now because I've since been back to work there. But I just found the way that the Arabs did business was very, very different to, to what I'd ever experienced before. So I, I wasn't prepared for it. How so? Um, they're, they're quite combative. So, um, you know, if, if things were going really well, um, then the, the owner of the network would just usually throw in a few landmines just to make sure that that wasn't to continue. He just, he seemed to really enjoy conflict and, you know, I guess he thrived under that environment. But when things are going well and you've got a sales department and a, a creative department that are working really well together, which is often rare in, in media, um, why would you not want that? Well, it just seemed he was not, he wasn't prepared for that and just didn't seem to, you know, like it so much. So it was just this constant dealing with things that didn't need to be dealt with if, if they hadn't have been artificially thrown in there. So it was not a fun working environment at it, all? No, it wasn't. And radio to me had always been fun. It was always laugh a minute, playing the music you loved, you know, just having, it was almost like going to work with your friends every day, even though you didn't know these people before you turn up to each gig. But, you know, it was just a, a fun, creative environment. But this was the complete opposite. And it is a business and I understand that, but it was just, it just, it just wasn't fun. It was, there's a lot of anger all the time and I, I didn't enjoy it. So then someone in Darwin phoned you up. They found out you were in Dubai and, um, and phoned you up and said, come to Darwin. Well, sort of. Yeah, we left Dubai. We, we went home um, just for a few months, rest and relaxation. We weren't actually too sure what we were going to do. There was the possibility of going back to Dubai for another network, but we just weren't really prepared. And then, yeah, I got a um, – to be honest, I can't remember how it happened, but I got a call from someone and there was a, a, a program manager's job going in Darwin. And, and, yeah, before we knew it, very quickly we were – on a plane and uh, in the beautiful tropics. So program manager is what you did in Dubai? Yeah, yep, and, correct. And, and so was it a bigger responsibility here in Darwin? Uh, no, same. it was probably yeah, the same job but probably more manageable because in Dubai we had multiple stations uh, broadcasting out of the one compound, plus we had a television station as well. But our sales office was was um, in in a totally different area. And as a program director, you're responsible for the on-air side of the radio station, but you're also 
very much responsible for making sure that the creative that's coming from sales is um, in line with what you're doing for each particular station. So I used to spend a lot of time uh, in meetings with salespeople and advertising companies and uh, making sure that, you know, because we'd get, we'd get these people wanting to advertise products that just weren't in any way, um, you know, conducive to what the station represented or what it was for. Is, is that world the same now or has it been drastically yeah. altered by technology and how we communicate through social media and stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the purpose of what we're talking about with this podcast, which we'll get to, is, <laughs> is one of the answers to that. Um, the way people consume has completely changed. So um, because everything's now on demand, um, yeah, they, they, people don't, they don't get up to listen to their favourite radio station anymore because, one, no offence, and people will take offence to this, but those, it's very much now, like, some of the capital city stations do have some creative, talented people, but, you know, in, in, the, met, in the smaller markets, the provincial markets and the country markets, they're, they're all just kids, and, you know, most of them will never get to, uh, you know, a capital city market, which was always the, uh, the aim, you know, back in the day. And because people consume so differently now, um, that concept of I'll have to listen at 10 past 7 because they do my favourite segment, that's, those days are gone. When you got into radio, mm. you, did you think of it as a career? Were you intentional about it? Yeah, I did. Yep, I did. I, I, I'd always wanted to do it. I didn't know if it was the rest of my life career, but it was it was for, you know, the foreseeable future. And um, it, it definitely was – back then, you'd start in a country station, you'd try and get to a provincial station, and then you'd try and get to a metro station. If you could bypass the provincial, of course you would. Um, but it generally was a stepping stone of, of multiple markets to get there. Okay, so what would someone who was of similar mind do now if he or she were starting out? How would they structure things if they wanted to do it today? It's a good question, and and I've not been in the industry for you know quite a few years now, so I'm not too sure what the pathways would be, but. It, it, it's unusual that you'd hear of someone going from the smaller markets now to, to make those stepping stones all the way through to the metro markets. But in saying that, because there's so many more things that you can do uh, that don't involve you going to work Monday to Friday and having a job, you know, paying a very low amount of money, which is what commercial radio is, there's so many more pathways for creating content and getting it out to people that didn't exist back before. So even if someone, say, working in the Darwin market or Alice Springs, for example, on a commercial radio station or the ABC or whatever, even if they never got to Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide, they could still make a lot of content and have you know millions of downloads if, if the content was of interest to an audience. 
I think the urban rural divide is getting more and more interesting. Not it's, it's not, it's not blurring. It's, it's, it's growing, it seems to me in a lot of ways. And so I, I wonder about the role of, of someone like a person in radio in that sense. Mm. Yeah, I do too. I mean, without being too disparaging, you know, I, I listen to whenever I travel, I'll always put the local radio stations on and I'm often in, regional parts of the country and I, I actually think to myself what what does this young person hope this job's going to lead to and I often hear things that they say and do which we would never have done in our day and I'm not saying my way is right or their way is wrong it's just I notice the differences and I don't know whether that's because of a lack of training or whether that's because of that's how they do things now. Um, and, yeah, I guess I'd have Biggest to ask someone. That would be stuff like what? I'm sorry, I missed that. What would, what would examples of that be? Uh, it's, even, it's even just phrases they use. Like we were always taught that everything that you say and do, you want to take up people's time as – as quickly and efficiently as possible. So it's something I really noticed in in Dubai, for example, right, because the English broadcast very differently to Australians and Americans. So if I was um, working on breakfast radio in Australia, which I have done many times, and I would give the time, which you would do between, say, six and nine, because people want to know the time, you'd say it's 17 past eight, or it's 17 past the hour, right, if, if you figured they knew it was 8 o'clock. But the Brits don't do that. They say it's 17 minutes past the hour of 8 o'clock on your Tuesday morning, right, which I, don't, I never used to know. If, have you not been taught that you're just wasting people's time? Or are you – sometimes you will use a lot of extra words when you're trying to think of what you want to say, so you might use it as a crutch. But – with all the guys that I worked with, they all said it the same way. So that was clearly how they were taught. It's just a difference. Not One's not right, one's not wrong, but it was very different to how we did it. And it's it's the same now. The thing I notice more than um, anything else is when they say things, for example, uh, if, if, if they have a um, an equipment problem or equipment failure and they're on air, We'd never say that. We'd just brush over it and move to the next thing. But you'll often hear say, oh, my CD player, oh, my, yeah, my, oh, my computer's jammed up. Oh, we'll have to go to an ad break and then we'll come back. Well, that's just not stuff that we would say. And again, maybe that's the modern way of doing it. Maybe it's training. I don't know. It's, it's a, you know, we, when, the way we dress now too, we can show our underwear, so it's okay. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, underwear is now outerwear. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Well, um, gosh, a lot, a lot came up in my in my mind there. Do you want to do you want to go to um, to Darwin? One of the things that can that I don't know much about and that I'm confused about in your role because you you've got a great I, I mean I won't say you've got a great but you do you have a, you have a good voice voice for radio. But how much of what you were doing was on air, and how much of what of what a, I, I have the sense that a manager isn't meant to be on air all the time or even much. Is that right? 
Yeah, so in, in a capital city station, it'd be extraordinarily rare to hear a program manager on air. Um, you know, you, you would probably have had to have had a catastrophe of some description. But in, in regional markets and provincial markets, it's quite common. So every every radio station of a certain size um, will have what they call a floater. And a floater is someone who will often have another job at the station, which may be an off-air role. So it might be copywriting or it could be producing or it could be a number or it could, be, could be sales even. But they would then be on air as and when required. So that might be, they might, for example, do a weekend show every weekend or they might fill in when somebody's away. So Darwin, as a classic example, so Darwin's got two commercial FM stations. They're owned by the same people. They're in the same building. The studios are about 10 feet apart from each other, right? But unless you listen to both, you'd never know that because Mm. they're completely separate brands, different audience, different music, they're trying to attract a a different audience. But some of the advertisers will, will be the same. But although there might only be three people on air Monday to Friday, you know, from 9 to 6 or or, sorry, from 6 a.m. to say 6 p.m. and the same for the other station, you'd be amazed how often people are away. So annual leave or sick leave, well, generally it's the program director who fills in because the other uh, well, again, I should say back in my day, it was always the program director because the other announcers were doing their jobs plus their secondary jobs, which is either producing or music directing or you know whatever other job they did. So it, the, the, the businesses are run very, very lean. And it, as a program manager, you would definitely be on air more often than you'd like to be. Um, sometimes, when I say sometimes, quite often, I might do breakfast on one station and then I'd do the afternoons on the other station because, you know, because of annual leave or sick leave, that's what was dictated. But I thought they were two different radio stations. So each would each didn't have its own manager? You were the manager for both? Yeah, both yeah correct. Same wow. program manager. Different music directors, um, same producer. Um, same copywriter generally. Some some roles were split, but generally at the, the smaller stations, there's a lot of doubling up of roles. Pete, how many years did you do that? I say about 10 all up. I haven't worked the exact numbers, but yeah, 96 to, oh yeah, about yeah, about 2006. So. Okay. And, um, and then what did you do after that? Well, it's funny. Uh, we'd left Darwin. I got my big capital city break in a, um, a sports radio network based in Melbourne. But and, Darwin is a capital city. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Um, how do I put this nicely, Liz? Um, <laughs> yeah, a, a capital city for more than just the weather, um, you know, multiple million people, big market. And um, so, yeah, I, I went to do that and – uh, I, I hated it. I really hated it. I, I loved the environment. At, no, I loved the content side of it. Um, but the sports industry and the sports broadcasting industry is amazingly unique. 
And I really, I disliked it a lot and a lot of the people in it. Why? Is it? But it would have been home to you. It would have been like yeah. coming home, sporting guy, you know, home to That's a good question because um, a lot of the professional broadcasters have never played sport that they all would love to have. They've never played. So their thing is knowing every single thing about every single person and every breaking story and everything that's happening, and they're just like the world's greatest gossips on the planet. Um, and you're absolutely right. I love sport for sport, but it, yeah, it was. I just, I really, really dislike that environment. Okay, okay, we, we, we'll um, we'll park that one. You, so, mm. so you were there for how long, and how'd you get out? I was there for about six months, and I decided that actually Darwin was where I wanted to live. So oh, that's sweet. I, I wasn't moving for a job for once. I was moving for the place. And um, and I literally answered an ad in the newspaper that said, um, real estate salesperson wanted, no experience necessary, must be prepared to get license. Um, and that was about it. And I thought, I can do that. I don't really know what it entails and I have no idea whether my skills transfer, but Let's give it a go. And, um, yeah, I never looked back. Absolutely loved it from day one. And your wife was happy to come back? Yeah. Yeah, we both loved Darwin and it was our place. We had a property there and we just, yeah, we, as I said, we, we chose the place rather than a job for once. What suburbs do you, did you, do you prefer where we, where we live in, can you say? Yeah, so we lived in Stewart Park and we lived in Woolner, so literally same place basically. Um we, we rented a place in Rosebury for a short time because our place was rented out. But, yeah, we lived in a townhouse in Stewart Park and we had a unit in Walner, which overlooked Francis Bay, and we absolutely loved it up there. You could see over the water and see all the storms rolling in. And um, some nights, you know, it's, this sounds absolutely crazy, but on those really hot nights when it was, you know, just unbearable, although we always got a beautiful breeze because we are on the top floor, um, some nights just strip down to your shorts and as the storms rolled in, just get absolutely drenched in this beautiful rain and cool off and it was just magnificent. Wow, that's a, that's an advertisement for Darwin right there. Oh, yeah. And, and sometimes you'd see the storms rolling in from Palmerston on one way and the storms rolling in from the city side the other way and they'd sort of meet up in the middle over the bay. And, uh, and and it was incredible. It was also incredible to be there when a cyclone rolled in because um, the, just that roar, that whirring noise of the cyclone as it's imminent, I'll never forget. And we went through probably two or three, possibly four decent ones in, in that unit. So I'll never forget that sound. What level were you on? It was the fourth floor, but it was the top floor. And it was the top of... Um, Walner Road, so the old brewery place uh, at the top of the hill there. So it was quite elevated from from where the water was. So you weren't scared when the uh, cyclone rolled in? It's funny. I mean, because we were amongst other locals a lot of the time, people do get pretty blasé about them. Um, I wasn't scared in terms of fearing for my life, but, you know, top floor of the unit, there's a lot of glass and what have you. But there's a cyclone shelter there and worse come, you know, if worse came to worst, we we're just going to get wet. And then 
have to worry about a cleanup afterwards. But thankfully, we never got that bad. So do all the buildings, do all apartment buildings have a cyclone shelter underneath? Yeah, they all should. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So any any um any room in your house that has no windows is is considered the cyclone shelter. So often in units it'll be a bathroom or a um I mean probably not a toilet, but usually the main bathroom is is often uh, a cyclone shelter in, in units. So if you're on the 16th floor and a cyclone comes, you're supposed to go into your bathroom with no windows. You're not supposed to go like down the elevator to the basement to a cyclone shelter. It, it all depends. I mean, okay. if there's one that's provided for that purpose, then yes, but um, there should be one in each dwelling. So uh, there, there would be one in each unit. Well, there should I've, be. Wondered, I've wondered about this because my building has 18 units. And there's this room downstairs in the parking, in the underground parking that has, you know, you can put your bicycle in and stuff, but, you know, all the people from 18 units would be really tight. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that would be the, the cyclone shelter. There's- well, if it's down too low as well, it might be subject to flooding, so it wouldn't be advisable to use it for that. Okay. So we don't want to drown. Not in a perfect world, Liz, no. <laughs> Should be maybe when the time comes. <laughs> okay, so so we've we've what have we left out? We left out anything important before we get into the the uh, mechanics of podcasting? Uh probably not. But we uh, just very quickly we did go back to Dubai <laughs> after that. So I was in real estate for a couple of years, and then ironically, or whatever the word is, I got a phone call one day. I was driving. I remember it, driving out to the rural area. Uh, to sell this property, which I was, um, I had listed, and uh, I reckon I'd been out there for about six, 60 appointments, and I hadn't had a single offer on it, although it was very reasonably priced. But on the way out there, I got a phone call from this Aussie bloke who was in Dubai, and he'd been given my details because someone who knew me said I was in real estate and I'd lived there before, so I knew Dubai. And he said, "Was I interested in a job?" And I said. Well, not really. I mean, I'm really happy with where I am and what I'm doing. And I was the sales manager at, at First National at the time. And, you know, things were going well and I was really happy. And and uh, anyway, long story short, over a period of about six months, they wore me down. And eventually I uh, I took the job and, and um, we spent another two and a bit years back there. And it was fantastic. Um, we left in 2008, which, of course, was when the world was literally – on fire, business was crazy. Um, People you know, were leaving their BMWs at the airport in Dubai and getting out at that time. I thought that was after that, yeah. Okay. And 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 I'd I'd love to dispel that myth for you as well because it's it's, it's a it's a well trodden path and a well told story, but um, it's probably a little more fiction than fact. Um, but um, yeah, so two thousand eight was fantastic and then of course at the end of that year is when the gfc hit and really bit but it didn't bite for there for probably another six months so we got you know through the first part of 2009 before that area became really um under pressure and things really changed well it's good for real estate if things are going up and it's good if things are going down the thing you don't want in real estate is for things to stay steady, I thought. Well, actually, no. I, I prefer a steady market. Another myth. It's another I'll, myth. Yeah, it, it is. I'll tell you why. In a steady market, you've got plenty of sellers, but their expectations are reasonable. You've got plenty of buyers, 
and their expectations are reasonable. Mm. In a seller's market, you've got sellers who want too much and buyers who are really angry. And in a buyer's market, you've got buyers who can dictate whatever price they want and sellers who are really angry. So, mm. And guess who cops it in the neck? The poor old real estate agent. So uh, uh, what I call a, a normal market is actually, for me, I prefer it a much a lot more to selling in that type of market. Interesting. So you're not, um, so you, you went back to Dubai to sell real estate after you've been selling real estate here in Darwin. Yeah. And you came back to Darwin again doing Correct. real estate. Yeah. Well, actually, no. And that's where the, the thing about the digital marketing comes in because my wife was then pregnant with our first two children, twins. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't want to go back into real estate full-time at that time because um, it's it's really full-on to try and establish yourself, you know, in a new job, new position. Even though I'd, I'd worked in that market, you were still basically starting from scratch. So, uh, and I was really interested in website design and search engine optimization and, you know, running paid pay-per-click advertising and things like that. So, I took a job with Yellow Pages. And I worked for them for two years and I learned um, about the inner workings of um, Australia's largest digital marketing agency, as they call themselves. Wow. And, How was that? Yeah. That was really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'd been a Yellow Pages customer for years with, with my entertainment company. So, um, it was interesting being on the inside. Um, yeah, I, I learned a lot, learned a lot about the business and um, I, I already had a, quite a few skills because I'd built websites for my own business before. Um, and then after a couple of years, I decided that uh, I was going to start my own digital marketing agency. So that's that's what I did. Okay. Digital marketing in Darwin. Yep. Full-time, that's, your, that's what you're doing full-time? Yep. That's what I did full-time. And you're doing that for how many years before Leon calls you up and says, COVID's hit, let's do a podcast. No, that's not how it happened, is it? No, but it, it, it probably wasn't. So what happened was I did that and uh, I enjoyed it and got some really good clients, many of which who I still have to this day. And then uh, one of my old real estate mates called me up and said, listen, uh, I do a lot of video marketing and I'm really good with the social media side of stuff and the social media ads. You're you're really good with the digital marketing and the SEO and the the website side of things, maybe we should uh, team up and do all of that under the one banner in real estate. And uh, we did. And then I sort of did, I ran things together because I had a number of people doing the, the, the work for the digital marketing side of things. I was really just overseeing and, and dealing with clients. And then, uh, yeah, we used our, our uh, both of our skills in, in real estate. So, um, iProperty NT, which still operates to this day and is very successful. Um, we, well, Peter actually did before I was there, but pioneered uh, uh, video marketing for real estate in Darwin. We, we no longer used the print medium and uh, sort of carved a, a path for it. So do then. They, do they, they use realestate.com and domain or not? Just, yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, well, not so much domain in Darwin, but realestate.com.au is the, the largest portal in the country. You, know, you, you can't fight City Hall. But um, in terms of the supplementary advertising, it was all uh, social media and, and video marketing. 
So, yeah. So you're still doing that to this day. That's- yeah, correct. Yep, exactly. And so what uh, to to get the connection, it was funny because when when I first started back with iProperty, uh, we decided to go around and meet with various players in the industry. And so one of those, of course, is uh, is Ward Keller has a very large conveyancing practice. And we, we had a cup of tea in the boardroom at Ward Keller with uh, – Leon and Peter and myself, and Leon just out of the blue said to me, um, he goes, what else do you do? <laughs> and I said, well, apart from real estate. He goes, yeah, you look like someone that do other things. And I said, oh, well, I do a couple of other things, and it all sort of went from there. And um, Leon actually came as a guest on a podcast uh, that Peter and I used to have called Two Peas in a Pod, and um, then I think the, the idea started to, percolate from there in, inside Leon's head and uh, it was probably oh, six or 12 months later that he, he sort of said to me, oh, I've got an idea for a podcast and and that's where um, this podcast sort of grew from. And that was a little bit before COVID had actually, it was 2018? It was, yeah. yeah. So um, it was before COVID uh, but you know, in all fairness, if you look at the numbers, <laughs> the first, and, and everyone says this, I mean, all the, you know, the big YouTubers and or even Joe Rogan, whose podcast is you know, the largest in the world, um, everyone says, well, the first 12 months, there probably wasn't many people listening and the numbers sort of, you know, the numbers prove that. But when COVID hit, uh, as I was in Victoria at the time, I got stuck down there. And we were literally locked in our houses. Um, we decided, well, why don't we contact everybody we know overseas and find out what's going on where they are? And uh, we did, sometimes we'd do four or five podcasts in a week talking to various contacts that we had around the world. For Territory Story. Yeah, we sort of blew it. Well, at that stage, it was called Boundless Possible because that Correct. was the, yeah, we, we, we decided to adopt the name, but um, it later tell, changed. Tell where the name came from for people who don't know. Not Boundless not, Possible? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, not so, a real Yeah, probably. So the, the, the Northern Territory government at that time were looking to promote the Northern Territory, uh, particularly interstate, and they were offering incentives for um, people living interstate to move to the Northern Territory. Um, so they uh, they borrowed a campaign, ironically enough, from Dubai, and uh, although they deny it, but, you know, the facts are the facts. And uh, they came up with this um, slogan, Boundless Possible, and, you know, moved to the Territory where things are boundless possible, which, as we all said at the time, what the hell does that even mean? But they produced a whole series of, um, logos and different uh, marketing material that they said at the time was open for anybody to use and they encouraged people to use it. So, you know, Leon suggested and I agreed, although I probably wasn't a big fan of the, the campaign itself, why don't we do that? Because we're talking about the Northern Territory and people within it and, you know, for a period of time, that went pretty well. Um, then... Yeah, we've told the story before, but we were asked to change and we changed, so that, that is what it is. Um, and, yeah, it was when COVID hit that 
we really saw the listening numbers really started to to go up and they've sort of stayed that way ever since. How many how many regulars do you have, do you think? Um, oh, it's a good question. It, it sort of fluctuates. There's probably um, oh, upward of a 1,000 regular sort of rusted on people that listen. Um, and, and look, you know, in all fairness, there's no doubt that the weekend episode is is uh, the most listened to podcast each week. The numbers don't lie. They, they uh, you know, by far are the most downloaded episodes. Um, but, you know, what, what Chris has brought um, and the proof is in the pudding, we're the first to admit, obviously, you know, there's plenty of former CLP members who aren't fans of his. I'm sure the current government's the same. Um, but I think the proof is in the pudding because he, he, he has an amazing ability to get stories that nobody else is getting. Um, and, you know, he's got his, he's got his ear to the ground, if that's the expression, <laughs> constantly, and, and he just keeps coming up with these stories. So he's, he's done yeah. an amazing job. No, they're good, and and from people tell me that they listen to it every weekend. So I, I think that's true. You've got well, you're going on four hundred, not a dud in the lot. Yep. So um, yeah. So are there any you delete if you could? No, not at all. Um, I mean, there's some that are more downloaded than others, um, but no. And, and we always said that the initial mantra was that people needed to have some sort of a connection to the Northern Territory. But, you know, we interviewed Malcolm Turnbull, for example. Well, he doesn't have a connection as such, but he certainly, he came to the Territory and he enacted policies that affected the Territory. So at that time when we got him on, um, you know, we really wanted to talk to him about uh, some things related to that. And it was, the questions were about the Northern Territory, but we've had the most amazing guests on. Yeah, yeah, so um, I want to get to that, but I also want to know where the jingle came from, and I don't want to forget to find out. It's a great little tune that the territory ah. starts. Where, where did you get picked out? Yeah. How, who, who chose? But how did that happen? Well, I chose it. Um, so to to um, sort of break it down, we we there was never any real discussion about it, but inadvertently we uh, divided up the responsibilities with the podcast and Leon's job was to book the guests and he would write the spiel about each guest and, um, you know, he, he would take care of all that side of things. And my job was to do the, uh, the editing and, and the audio side of things. So um, when we changed from boundless possible to territory story, I changed the, um, the jingle because I thought we needed, uh, just a change, you know, change of name, whatever. And we got a, a voiceover guy who's a friend of mine. Um, actually, going back to the Mudgy story, he was the guy that vacated the breakfast radio job in the FM station, which was the reason why I got it. And um, he and I have sort of been friends ever since. He's been on the podcast as well. So um, anyone who's listened for a while would, would have heard him talk to us. What's, what's his and name? His name's Marjay Saba. And he okay. works on a, a radio station in in uh, Wollongong, and um, yeah, I wanted to get his voice because he's just got a, a you know a very nice, commanding sort of voice and can do a great voiceover, and I wanted the music to sort of 
you know, once you heard it, it was unmistakable. And um, unmistakable. I probably listened to 50 songs to get to that. And then I remember I finally nailed it on a Friday afternoon. And if you listen, and I hope I'm not going too intimately into this, but if you listen, that little intro bit, which goes for about 10 seconds or something, it then has a drum bit and it's, the voiceover always comes in just after the drum bit. It's uh, it's time to perfection, and I just I heard yes. that for the first time, and I went bang. I can get his voice in there, and it works. And it's been the same ever since. It's really good. Um, so I'm 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 glad it was. I'm glad you feel like it wasn't um, just oh, it just happened. I mean, it, it took a little bit of nows to get. Oh, uh, it. it it took some work. Yeah, I mean, I'll be I'll be honest and say to you, if it oh, it's just yeah, it just sort of happened. But in that case, I actually. Um, I'm sure my kids and my wife were bored of it by the end of it because I must have listened to 50 songs to get there. Um, but in the end, I was really happy with it. And and in saying that, um, and not to bang on about it too much, but we have had you know quite a few people over the time say to us. In fact, one of one of um, Leon's co-workers once said to him that he because people go through their stages, and he said. I can't get the song out of my head. Like, you know, I'll be making a cup of tea at work and I'll be, you know, tapping away. <laughs> totally. It's like an thinking, earworm. Yeah, I was thinking if I ever had my own podcast, I could never come up with something like that. I think it's so good. Well, well so so tell us more about the art of podcasting, the, the, the techniques. So, so what have you learned about podcasting that you didn't know in radio? I mean, what, how is it, how is it different? I mean, I'm sure there are millions of ways, but. Yeah. So the, the, the main, main difference is that um, everything we do is pre-recorded. Uh, that doesn't mean that we edit people out or edit out things they say. It's just that we don't do it live because we're not doing, you know, YouTube live or anything like that. But um, in essence, in essence, there's some similarities, but there's also some differences. So in radio, a lot of the time, and I hope I don't ruin people's uh, imagination uh, when I say this, but when you listen to uh, the radio in Darwin, say, on the weekend, um, there's very few announcers who are actually live. Most of that's been pre-recorded during the week. But when you record in that setting, you literally just go into a computer, you find the section that you want to record, you hit record, you say the talk break, you hit stop, and then it inserts that talk break where it's meant to go. And the computer does the fade in, fade out, and makes it sound as natural as possible. Um, with a podcast, we we record, as you know, we record either on Zoom or Google Meet or in person, and we end up with an audio file at the end of it. But that audio file, particularly when you're recording online, it's a pretty imperfect file. So the audio quality is, yeah, it's what I would describe as grey by nature. It's It's okay. It's not great. So the first thing I do is I take that file and I run it through two different pieces of software to have the quality sound as good as possible. Um, I then use a... Um, How long does that take? 
Is it quick or takes a while? Um, yeah, it's a good question. It, it all depends. Depends on the length of the file, and it depends on uh, the original quality of the original file. So in ballpark, it probably takes uh, anywhere from two to three hours just to do that process. But, so, but it does it automatically, so you don't have to sit there and monitor it. You put it in and feed it in, and it takes three hours and it comes out, or do you have to babysit and monitor Oh, it? yeah. Yeah, no. The only thing I have to do is I have to take the original file once it's processed, stick it into one piece of software. I do two things with it in that. Then I get a file, and then I put that file into another piece of software. I set it all up, and then I hit go, and it does its job. And eventually I get an email saying, your file's ready. And then I take that file and I put it into a mixing software, which then lets me mix the audio, the voiceover intro and outro, and the music on the same piece of software. And I can adjust, uh, like I can, I can edit out, for example, any gaps in, in the audio. If, if, for example, you know, you deliberated over a question for five seconds, I can remove that five seconds, but you've got to do all that manually. So that takes time. Um, so, and then you've got to get the, um, the, the voiceover track and the music lined up properly. So it all sort of sounds like it's in tune and in sync. So when you listen to, you know, say somebody else's podcast and you have the option of listening to the cleaned up version or the rough version, do you prefer the rough? No, I much prefer the clean. Um, there, there was a great quote that I saw probably six months ago, and I think I probably said it to you, but it's basically people will tolerate um, average video, but they won't tolerate average audio. So if the audio quality is as good as you can make it, then that's what I prefer to listen to. And you probably heard you probably heard us bang on about it from time to time. Whenever we record in person, the audio quality is so much better because I've got my actual mobile studio that I can – you know, take with me and and the the audio quality, you, you just you know, it's as good as broadcast quality. It's unbelievable. Mm. And and you also started, you said, with half hour segments or something like that, and yeah, kind of ditched that. How how far into the process did you decide that you didn't need to keep it to the, the to that length? So it's a really um, interesting. I suppose, uh, insight into what happens with these things because while um, we started the podcast originally just wanting to have a chat to some Territorians, um, you still go in with some pretty defined parameters as to what you want, what you want to achieve, etc. And And Leon was pretty strong about the fact that he felt a half hour was maximum you could do. And I was very much of the opinion that, no, you could do longer than that. Um, but neither of us had evidence either way. So I was happy to keep it at half an hour because the post-production side of it was quite extensive anyway. But um, what basically happened was we got someone on and we ended up recording for an hour and 15 minutes, say, and the downloads were identical, the feedback was the same, nobody complained, and and we just worked out just through – um, trial and error that people didn't care. And the reason why people didn't care was because people consume podcasts uh, as they want to. So we we um, we spoke with Chris Dutram, 
I think he's the longest we've ever done. That went for just under three and a half hours. Now, you'd say, oh, my God, who wants to listen for that long? But one, it was fascinating just listening to, you know, his life and everything he went through. But you don't have to consume it in one bite. If your commute to work is 20 minutes a day to and from Palmerston, well, that's 40 minutes per day. By the end of the week, you've listened to that whole podcast. If it's of interest, it will get your attention. And what's also interesting, because I have often wondered, well, with these long podcasts, like who actually listens to the end? And I actually went into the analytics quite a lot recently. And, and you know, I've always known that, that people listen because they tell you the things they hear and you know, oh, that was at the end of the podcast, so they must have listened all the way. But the analytics very clearly show that more than 50% of the audience listen to over 90% of what we record. And, you know, I think it's about 80% or 85% of people listen to at least 75% of what we record. So people are listening and, as you know, most of the episodes that we do midweek go for about two hours. I like coming in at the – I think that they're often more – I don't know. I think I like the I like the end. I usually like the last 45 minutes best, really. Well, the the magic of the podcast is that the, the first half hour, 45 minutes generally, is, is the person talking about themselves and it's a topic that – they know about because it's their life and whatever pre nerves they might have by that stage they're generally gone and as you know the conversation will then usually uh, turn into something they've talked about or you know if it's the Alice Springs mayor for example we know what we're going to talk about in the end but we're, we're going through the the you know the formalities to get to that point and mm. so by that stage they're very comfortable and they're happy to talk and you know generally they're they're open and honest and the focus is does it do you think that there are sort of waves of different topical areas or different sorts of focus that you have with it like we get certain kinds of um, guests on for a period of time. It seems to be a crop of artists or maybe, well, it seems as though a lot, we, we have been talking as everyone is about, you know, violence and, and what's, and, and, and people being unsettled in the community at the moment here in Darwin and, and particularly in Alice has, what sorts of themes have you seen over the years? Over 400 podcasts. Is, are there, are there, pockets of gee we, we did we kind of went through this for a while and now it's this and just on that first point um something that i'd like to make really clear is that we we never ever set out to cover topics such as um oh you know that sort of um headline news stuff so crime violence um that sort of stuff was never our thing and so even with the weekend edition it was it was about news but it was more you know politics and um you know things like that the only reason that we've covered those things in recent times is because you you would be an absolute idiot to put your head in the sand mm-hmm. and not cover them 
when people in Darwin and Alice Springs and Catherine, and, and I'm sure other areas of the Territory, are genuinely fearing for their safety. Um, so that's why we've sort of gone down that path. In terms of um, themes, as a general rule, no. It's been really interesting. We've just, as I say, Leon booked probably most of those guests up up until recently, and they were just people that maybe he knew, maybe I knew, maybe we both knew. Um, sometimes we didn't know. We've always asked listeners to suggest guests, and we have interviewed quite a few of those over the time. Um We've had some musicians on, uh, we've had politicians, uh, we've had, you know, business people, but but no sort of one theme as in, oh, you know, we talk sport for a month or then we talk this or... You know, I think when you have two really good committed people who know what they're doing and do it well, you know, it, it, it shows, it's... it's it's a it's a huge achievement what what you have done, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you about it and do a podcast asking you about it and Leon about it. Um, is there is there an ethic? Are there? Did you like have do do you have even? I imagine they would be unstated if you have them. Do you sort of have guiding principles? The, this is this is where we won't go, and and these are kind of the things that we want to want to. This is our guiding purpose. You know, anything like that. The, the the initial intent was to highlight uh, Territorians and those with a connection to the Northern Territory. So um, you you can be just like you and me, Liz. You can just be, you know, average Joe on the street, or or you could be you could be well known, but that's not never been the purpose or the premise of it. Um, we we really, uh, as a rule, yeah, we we didn't touch on that sort of. I don't I don't even know the, the the sort of topic headline for it, but yeah, we just we didn't touch things like crime and violence and things like that because we're not journalists and we're not we're not news people, and because also you're not recording in real time. Um, sorry, well, you're not recording live. The you know an episode might come out a week after you've recorded it, depending on when it is and, and who you spoke to. So you've got to be just careful with timelines. But, yeah, I don't know. I guess we probably just think quite similarly on things and we probably never discuss it in real terms, but we just um, we, we just sort of – look, most of the topics are guided by the guests anyway, so really wherever they take it, we'll, we'll follow. What happens to the relationships afterwards? You must have a lot of – New relationship. Yeah. yeah, it's a really good question. Um, definitely, you know, still see and talk to a lot of the guests that we've had on um, over the years, uh, of which, you know, I didn't know a lot of them at the time of recording, but um, you sort of you feel like you get to know them quite intimately when, when you talk to them. Um, I now do a podcast with one of them. The Dame, the Elizabeth, the Spencer, so, you know, um, and certainly, you know, I mean, social media is it can be uh, particularly standoffish at times. But you know, I'm I'm in contact with with a lot of the guests we've had on over the time. Are there any you would like to um, revisit? You want to do again? 
Uh, look, the only thing that I would say on that topic is we had a couple of people, and I don't remember who they are, so you can ask, and I'm not lying. I generally don't know who they are. But I reckon we had two maybe where we recorded and for whatever reason the recording didn't work and we then re-recorded with those people. And I can tell you firsthand, once you've heard the story, it doesn't work the second time. And in in each of those cases, uh, I walked away and thought, uh, that the essence of the podcast was lost because the, the the best part was in the first recording. If you redo it, it just doesn't work. So it's not it's not fresh. I, I remember talking when we when we were about to do Cyprian do Cyprian's interview, and I, we were standing outside his office talking, and I thought, oh, we can't keep talking because hmm. all of this is what we need to be talking about in the podcast and. How about funniest ones? What was standouts for you? Because there are 400 of them and people could go back and listen. And that's one of the things that I thought would be really um, fun and interesting to ask you. And you probably didn't have a chance to look, but, um, but if you would go back and say, well, I'd suggest, if you want to laugh, go back and listen to this one. If you want, if you want to cry, go listen to this one. Um, what, what would you, what would you say for, if you want to laugh? Look, this this is going to sound like a cop out, and I don't mean it to be that way. But um, <laughs> well, look, I mean, I've I've always tried to inject some humour where I can, and I've recently, uh, you probably heard me on the weekend edition. I've sort of recently been putting a little bit of a, a disclaimer in because, you know, I, I will generally try and have a laugh even when things are really annoying or frustrating, or sometimes they're sad or whatever. It's just. It's just my sort of natural way of dealing with it. So what I would say to that is that I I tend to have my biggest laughs on the weekend edition and sometimes it's laughing at the most, you know, tense of situations or if there's something that we're talking about that is just really frustrating, whether it's, you know, the government doing something they shouldn't or not doing something they should or whatever, but that tends to be where my laughs come from. And sometimes with Leon, Chris and I, just on, you know, a really tense topic, one of us will just say something and then the three of us will just, you know, sort of collapse in laughter. And and I've really enjoyed that side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, yeah, I can't, I can't for the life of me think of it one individual situation where it's like, oh, yeah, that episode was just full of laughs. But... I mean, you know, even when you and I talked to Lorella Cousins uh, a few months ago, like she she's just a fun personality and, and pretty upbeat and self-deprecating I think is always a, a good quality to have. Um, so um, I know you and I had a good laugh during that one, but mm. that's pretty common, you know, of most guests that we have on. Yeah, um, pe- people are great. So... There are all kinds of things. You're 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 going to do um, a podcast. I think about how to make a podcast. You're, are you going to do a series uh, teaching people? Or are you doing a course or something? How, how's that panning out? Are you still working yeah, on it? Uh, yeah. I'm still working on it, and it, it it's not that I can't do it. It's just a time thing. But yeah, the idea will be um, to create a course 
and then that will then become, uh, you know, like probably a video course or audio course or probably both, to be honest, because it's funny, I get asked constantly, how do you do it? Like, you know, what, what do I do here? What do I do there? And not that it annoys me, it doesn't, but I just, <laughs> I just thought a while ago, Oh, geez, I should turn it because to me it's like it's easy, you know. But then I didn't, I never worked in production when I was in radio. I've just taught myself how to do that since I've been podcasting. Now, yes, I've probably got a better grounding than most because I've, you know, I know, I know the equipment, I know the software, I know, you know, what you need to use. And I, I've used it not as in depth as a, you know, uh, a radio producer or a music producer even more but I, I know the basics so I, I sort of figured it out from there and um, so I thought yeah look a, a, a course for those that want to start their own podcast and want it to sound you know relatively decent um, is something that I think would would be something people would like yeah I do too well what's the future of podcasting I know we've talked about it but in a, in a nutshell what would you tell people where where's podcasting going well podcasting is probably going into a couple of areas one uh, it, it, I mean the original podcasts were pretty much audio only um, and it was a, a, a it's a word that comes from um, Apple originally and it was just audio uploaded to their iTunes uh, platform. But where, where it's going now, I think, is more in terms of uh, video. So believe it or not, or you probably know this, Liz, but some some may be surprised to learn that YouTube's actually the largest podcasting platform in the world now um, because people are uploading their videos with audio, like you and I are talking now, and uh, they're uploading it to YouTube. So people, although it might be two bozos sitting around just, you know, chatting as we are, um, people want to see the facial expressions or they want to see, you know, the laughing or, or they want to see your wonderful background on your Google Meet screen, for example. <laughs> um, so I think that's that's definitely one of the areas. I think the other area that I've been surprised that the uptake hasn't been quicker, and again, I think it's probably because of the lack of education more than anything else, but podcasts can be so valuable for business. So why businesses aren't doing more podcasts, I I don't know. I I can only assume it's because of a a lack of um, know-how on how to actually do them. And this is what a lot of universities are doing now because we've gone, you know, I have, what, 150 students in my class right now, and I, I see about eight of them. Everyone else is online, and, you know, a lot of universities are doing their teaching through podcasts. Yep, yeah, it, it makes total sense. If, if um, the content isn't going to change, then it, it's almost an evergreen topic, you know. I mean, as long as the laws don't change in your case, Although then, I think probably, yeah, but that means yeah. that we got to keep going. Yeah, yeah, and so there there will be some things that require constant updates, but there'll be others that you can record once and not change for for years. Mm. Yeah. So, is there a way that you could do that? In law, we have loose leaf. We used to have loose leaves in paper, so you can yep. take a page and drop in a page. Can you do that with a podcast? Well, you can re-edit it. 
Um, mm. and, and if you're doing, say, a course about podcasting, then it wouldn't be one long piece of audio. It might end up being, you know, 25 pieces of shorter audio. So, for example, uh, you know, I'll give you a good example. The, the editing software that I use, there's probably half a dozen different types that people use, mainstream ones. They're constantly being updated. So how you zoom in and zoom out might change from one update to another. So if you are showing people, okay, well, when you edit this, this is how you do it, you zoom in on the WAV file, you go in here, you mark this, you mark that, and then you delete it, and then they change how you zoom in or zoom out or how you mark it, you'd have to re-record that whole section. Mm-hmm. How about AI? Because I saw an interview in, on paper with ChatGPT and someone was asking ChatGPT questions and it, and it was answering and they were trying to get it, you know, to, to make it, make jokes and that sort of thing. Is, mm-hmm. is, um, is, art, I mean, artificial intelligence is there in sound, right? So we could actually do an interview with, with artificial intelligence. We could, couldn't we? Yeah, we already can. Um, absolutely. And, and there are some platforms that the AI um, uh, voice is really realistic, uh, but most are still really poor. And, you know, through my digital marketing stuff, I see different products being marketed all the time, you know, text-to-voice things, uh, software, and... I listen to it and most often I just delete it straight away because most of it's pretty average, but it is becoming better and better. As far as chat GPT is concerned, wow, I mean, the sky's the limit. So, yeah, you could have an interview uh, where we said, all right, we're going to interview, I don't know, chat GPT about something or, or any form of AI about something. It could spit out the answers in written form and then you could take those answers and put it through a text-to-voice software, and it could then speak the answers to you as well. Yeah, and it's not going to be long before it just speaks directly to you. Well, yeah, to give you an example, with ChatGPT, um, it, the, the base product uh, only goes to 2021. So yeah. if you ask it answers or ask it questions, that the answers are after that, it, it can't answer you or it'll often just make things up. But there's now extensions, which I've got, that I've now connected my version to the internet. So it's up to date. Amazing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and I I understand that they're bringing out a new version like every month that's exponentially better than the last one. Correct. And and like I've got, I have the paid version. So the basic version of ChatGPT, which is pretty good, um, the free version is pretty good, but the paid version you can only access the latest version with the paid accounts and it's yeah it's next level just just down to the complexities of the answers but also what what you can tell it in terms of prompts because really it's only as good as the prompts it's given so if your prompts are basic the answers will be basic but i asked it something the other day actually i was looking for some video topics to do with real estate and it, oh, just its its response was so copious and it, you know, it didn't just give me – it gave me, um, say, 20 answers, but 
and it labeled them 1 to 20, but then it gave me sub answers within the 1 to 20 as well. So 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, 2A, 2C, 2. It was amazing. So, yeah, it'll, it'll only become more and more complex until the computers take over and we start working for them. Next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Peter, I, I um, want to thank you for sharing all this and we've, we've barely touched the surface, haven't we? Probably, yeah. There's probably a lot more we could discuss, Liz. But... Should, we, should we do any more of that? We also haven't talked about your five kids, which I would like to do. Yeah, well, they, they came about an hour ago in the episode. So once once you skip over, there's no going back. <laughs> okay, well, apologies to all your listeners who wanted to know more no. about your children. They don't uh, hear me grumble on about the kids. I remember reading my dad's memoir. He, he wrote, he labored over his memoir with my sister helping him because she's a publisher. And then he, he finished it. And, and like the kids got like two lines in his life, you know, his big long life. And yeah, we, we were, we were two lines in it. So he said, well, okay, that's good. So your kids are, are getting zero airtime tonight, but what we can come, we can circle back and do that another time. I do have one other question though, or uh, um, unless we want to go anywhere else that you're ready to, I'll tell, you, we... I'll tell you what I'll say, right? I'm, I'm happy to take your final question and I'm happy to leave this episode where it is. If anybody has any interest in us doing another one, let us know and then we'll think about it. <laughs> they people will. will tell, people will tell you one way or the other. Let me tell you, they're not backward about telling you whether they like it or not. So Interesting to see whether yeah, they yeah. like hearing about the, the um backroom stuff i suppose but yep. but also about you i think people want, want need to know about you okay um i have one other question and then mm-hmm. you get one last question because you do that to me so my last question to you is in the story of pete's life yeah what movie star would play you movie star yeah wow celebrity it doesn't have to be a movie so what, yeah, what yeah. well celebrity would you get to play you that's a really good question. Among a podcast of many good questions, it's not something I've ever thought of. Because to be brutally honest, um, and people will probably scoff at this, but I, I love doing this podcast. I've always loved doing it. I get a real kick out of it. But I have no interest in being famous or anything like that. So I'm just not sure. Um so someone humble and lovable. Someone, yeah, quite reclusive and just likes to stick to themselves. Who's who's an actor in that situation? There's, there's plenty who are, I'm sure. But I don't know. I, I'm not sure if there's anyone good-looking enough to play me. <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> that <laughs> is the problem. That's the fundamental problem. Yeah. There is no one who oh. can do justice. For anyone who's got small children, okay, you might find something – mildly amusing about this so i've told you this liz but i generally record my podcast in the living room okay so the living room consists are you there of, now is that where you are uh, now i am talking to you from the living room the living room consists of the dining area the sitting area and the kitchen and so if you ever hear noise in the background that's my wife either cooking putting the kettle on crinkling some something that's annoying the hell out of me or on the odd occasion, one of the children comes downstairs and whatever. My youngest child, this afternoon when she got home, put on television. And 
I've just noticed that the television hasn't gone off and it remains on the screen of what she left it on. So my wife is saying, for anyone who has small kids, they'll they'll get this, that she believes that the movie star or celebrity to play me, whoever's going to do that, is the Gruffalo. Oh, the Gruffalo. I was just yeah. thinking about the Gruffalo the other day. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the context of thinking about the Gruffalo. It's a good character. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with the Gruffalo, uh, look him up because um, that is uh, obviously tongue-in-cheek, I'm hoping, but the highest of high insults that you can give to your husband when I'm just talking about good-looking actors. She says, I'm Gruffalo. <laughs> well, I was, thinking, I was thinking when we said humble and lovable, that yeah. took me to underdog and, and underdog oh, yeah. and a poly purebred. So, um, yeah. Okay. So a dog and a gruffalo. That's what you two think. Right. <laughs> well, I, I don't know, but, um, but so that, and, and one final question for you then to ask yourself. Uh, I do have a question <laughs> and sticking with the theme of podcasting, you were on a podcast with Leon and myself, and now you've been, with me for several months recording Territory Story. It just feels like that. It hasn't been that long. Oh, has Okay. Yeah. What, what have you learned about podcasting in the short time which you've been doing, as in what didn't you realize before you got into it yourself? Oh, so much. Um, really, truly. It's, uh, I think that, I think that, there's so much that you do. I mean, when you talked about Leon getting the guests, I thought, oh God, I do drop the ball in every way. There's so much to do. You know, you have to um, organize people, get it happening, get the time frame, do some research so you know who you're talking to, be aware of what's going on. Then, then you you record. You've got to have the software for that. There's, you know, so you've got some prep to do there, I suppose. And then you have, and then there's tons of. Um, tech stuff to do afterwards to get it up. And then you want people to provide, you know, some sort of a bio and it's great if they can do an intro video. Um, so that, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And so I, I you know, I'm not surprised at all that it, I expected it, but I haven't even begun really to learn about it. I want to come and do your, your course. I want to learn to do it. And, um, but I think you do, do such a great job. So, so probably I shouldn't, shouldn't even try. But the other thing is that it's so much fun, you know, when you, it's just, it's just really a pleasure doing it with you because you're, you're really, um, fun to, to do a podcast with. So thank you. It's been, a, it's been an honor so far. Thank you. I didn't ask the question for that, but I appreciate <laughs> it. And, and True. I guess, um, I guess, and we did say this uh, oh, be about 18 months ago now, uh, there was a period of time when it wasn't so fun. And I always said, when it stops being fun, I'm going to stop doing it. So thankfully, it became fun again. And uh, we probably, as a result, learned our boundaries a little bit more as well. Um, and, and, you know, but like I said, because it's fun, it's why I do it. Uh, I like to have a laugh. I really love hearing the stories of all the amazing people in the Territory. And um, and I'm, I'm glad you get to do that now too, Liz. Thanks, Peter. You're doing a great service for the Territory. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, it would be remiss of me to leave without saying that uh, 
we'd love some more subscribers, please. So I will leave, I will leave a link in our social media profile for this episode. It's $10 a month. It's not much, but it just helps because there are quite a few costs involved with software and what have you, and we love doing it. But if you could afford the $10 a month, we'd love to have you as a subscriber. And um, if you need something exclusive in order to do that, tell me what it is and I'll try my best to do it for you. And is it, Peter, a separate subscription for weekends? No, same, same. Yeah, so, yeah, and and, and to say that, so initially what we did was we, we cut off the free downloads when we set up the subscriptions and due to uh, a, an anomaly with the software, ironically, those that had paid for their subscriptions couldn't download the episodes. So, <laughs> so that was a pain in the backside. So what we've done is we've since made the subscriptions voluntary and um, that has, has been pretty good. Like, you know, there's a number of people who have subscribed and it's really appreciated, but we definitely could do with some more. So um, without sounding like we're um, rattling the tin can, we'd, we'd love some more subscribers. Do, do, and you say you get a lot of input. I haven't seen. I haven't seen the input. So, so all the people's suggestions and comments and things. I'd, I'll, I'll need to ask you to have a look at them. Yeah. So social media um, people respond because we we put up all the episodes into our uh, Instagram and Facebook. And also, um, there's a there's a great feature through Spotify where people can leave voice memos for you. And actually, it was funny because. It on the page which I was looking at today, it said um, send voice memo. So I clicked on it thinking, oh, I'll send a voice memo. And it says, don't be silly. You can't send a memo to yourself because it knew I was logged in. <laughs> Spotify's got some cool things built in like that. That's good. But, uh, but yeah, people can send voice memos if they want. So um, I may regret saying that now because people might tell me what they really think. But um, yeah, it uh, it's there if you want to let us know. Cool. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Liz. And uh, that was Peter Gowers on the Territory Story Pod. Oh, that's me. Oh, that's right. Anyway, <laughs> we'll catch you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Peter and the Professor. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. For more episodes, go to all your favorite podcasting platforms or head to territorystory.com.